Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Have a seat, church. So we're active in many areas of our community, both at our schools and in our neighborhood and um, many areas around Little Rock. But the relationships that we have with other believers are deeper and more meaningful than the relationships we have outside the church. I want my kids to experience that difference so that they understand how crucial those relationships are when life gets difficult. The church has really impacted the way that I relate to my clients um, at my work. Most of my clients are in a really bad or dire financial situation. And through um, Christ Community Church and uh, being around Christ Community members, it just has made me more empathetic with my clients um, and it helps me relate to them and be patient with them. When we moved to Little Rock, this was a completely new city for us. We didn't grow up here and so we don't have anything holding us here. But now we do. We have developed deep relationships with people within this church and we have deep roots here now. If God were to choose to call us somewhere else, it would be very hard to leave Little Rock because of Christ Community. We are definitely praying for our boys. And one of the things that we pray for our boys and we try to impress on our boys is the need to have deep roots in a church like Christ Community. So thankful. It's fun watching these videos, and whether it was Trudy last week or the McGay Hayes this week, who are such a blessing to our faith family, to our community, and as their community, you can be praying for them. Corey lost his father this week, and they had the funeral um, on Friday, and so if you see them, just let them know that you are praying for them and that you're here for the McGay Hayes. Well, we're in week two, as Toby said, of the Rooted series, and this morning the emphasis is on being rooted in community. Because, and the truth is, is no matter how hard we try, like no matter how hard we run from it, or no matter how much a, a pandemic like COVID may disrupt it, the reality is, is that we are relational beings, wired for connection, made for community. 
with God and with one another. And that's, that should come as no surprise because if you read chapter 1 in the book of Genesis, right away we're told that we are made in the image of God. And God exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God exists eternally as part of a divine community. And so for those of us who are made in his image, we can't erase his likeness. We can't erase that which has been eternally implanted on the humanity that's made in his image, that we are made to commune with him by grace through faith in Christ, and we're made to connect and to commune with one another. And so even think of our name, Christ Community. In in Christ, through Christ, we have communion with God. Through his work on the cross, through his paying the debt of our sin, through his righteousness that's given to us, I have communion with God. And in Christ, we have community with one another. So Christian community is not um, an ideal, it's a reality. It's a reality for all those who have been baptized in Christ. It's a reality for all those who've placed their faith in him. We have communion in him. So we are Christ community, and we are a community in Christ. And as we look to this kind of this next chapter, this next season for us as a church, it's a season where we want to see us grow deeper through Christ Through our communion in Christ, we want to grow deeper with one another, and we want to be rooted deeper in the community in which we live now and for generations to come. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And the way I want to do it is by like asking and answering just three questions. So we're going to work through these three questions this morning. Number one, why do we need Christian community? Like, why does that even matter? Number two, how does this move deepen our community with one another? And then number three, how does this move more deeply root us in the community we are in? And so those are the three questions we're going to work through, starting with why do we need community? Because the Bible makes it clear numerous times the importance of community, the importance of community in the life of the believer. And even Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 3, the one that Toby just read, you may have heard that and said, well, that doesn't sound like a text on community. But just take a step back and look a little bit closer. If you look at verse 14, it says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the rich of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, let me ask you a question as that is up there. And the text is, the text is up there. Who is the you? Who is the you? The you is the church as a whole. Or as we say in the South, the you is a y'all. He's saying y'all. It's, he's writing to Christ's community, Ephesus, and you live this out. You walk in the power of what I'm praying. It's a plural you. And this is how many of the passages in the Bible, we read you, and because we're hyper-individualistic Western civilization, we almost always interpret that as me. But oftentimes the you in the New Testament is y'all because he's writing to communities. And yes, it's gonna have individual like application, 
but in the context of a community and the community in which he is writing. And when you start looking at a number of these passages, and in particular the passages that emphasize the need for Christian community, and you kind of start grouping them or or putting them in in columns, you really start to see like four, I'm going to list four key reasons why we need Christian community. Okay, four things that we see in Scripture that kind of come up over and over again about why it is so important. And so I want to quickly walk through these. The first one is encouragement. Encouragement. This is expressed in a passage like the one we read last week from Hebrews 10, where there the author writes, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, we we all need encouragement. All of us do. I know we have a number of Baylor connections in here, and, and if and in Waco, there's a seminary at Baylor Seminary. It's George Truitt Seminary. It's a Baptist seminary. And Truitt was a, a, a famous Baptist preacher and pastor in Texas. And he's a guy who one time, it's a tragic deal, but on a hunting trip, he accidentally killed his best friend in a hunting accident. And it just crushed him. And, and, and as he walked through his grief, he had a, a radio show, and he would end his radio show this way. He, said, he would say, be good to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. He said, be good to everybody because everybody is having a tough time. Life has a way of just beating you down. Sometimes in just little by little and sometimes in kind of seismic hits. And one of the most common ways God encourages his people is through his people. Like it's one of the most common, consistent, powerful ways in which God encourages his people, is through his people. And that can be little things, like just a a smile. It can be a one-on-one conversation. It It can be you praying for somebody and letting them know that. It can be you connecting them with somebody who's walking through something similar. You can encourage somebody by just sitting next to them in church, your presence by singing together corporately, by going out of your way to compliment or or just tell them encourage or just to speak life into that person or to encourage them in, in those kind of micro ways or also in those times where they need it the most, where you come alongside. That most often is going to come through your faith community, through your family of faith because that's that's where we need encouragement. We all need Christian community because we all need Christian encouragement. We need to be encouraged in Christ, reminded of who we are. And that most often comes through one another. Secondly, we need Christian community because we need accountability. Not only is, is life difficult, but in life we all tend to drift. And it's, it's one of those interesting things where if, if you just get off a little bit, right, if you just, if your angle just changes a couple degrees over time, you're going to be far, far away. 
And one of the things that Christian community does is it brings you back home. It, it, it encourages godliness. It keeps you from wandering too far. It, it functions a little bit like um, if you've ever gone bowling with little kids and you use the, the bumpers and it redirects your ball. It keeps the ball from going in the gutter. And that's a little bit how Christian community functions at times. You're, you're drifting towards the gutter, and they say, not so fast. You're coming back this way. That's one of the roles we play as a faith family. You heard me talk about it last week when we had baptism. When they make that confession of faith, and they make the commitment to walk in the newness of life, they do it in the presence of the community because the community is saying, our role is to help you do that. Like we have a role to play as their community of faith to be the bumper, the guardrails to keep their ball out of the gutter and to point them and remind them and refresh them and push them back where they belong. And so we see this all over the place. Galatians 6, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. It's like go to that person who's erring and say, come on, no, no, back this way. And then there's this accountability that we participate in proactively, James chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so it's, it's a delicate issue and one that goes both ways, but part of the role of Christian community is to help us stay true to our Christian commitments. So the community has a role of accountability that points us back to Jesus. And it's no surprise that when somebody falls into kind of deep sin, man, I see this over and over and over again. When somebody really starts departing and falls into sin, you know what happens? I don't see them. Because the first thing they forsake is the fellowship. The first thing that they leave behind is the presence of other Christians. And when you see people, when you open up and you read the news and you read about another Christian leader that, that, that has fallen into sin, or has a moral failure, if you unpack that almost every single time, you know what's one of the things you find? No accountability. Like none. They're an island to themselves. And they have nobody who speaks into their life. They have nobody who they're honest with. They live in this alternative world. They continue to drift in that until they have a moral failure and it just explodes because they've forsaken accountability. And so it's this two-way street of the community committing to enter in, and the individual committing to open up to make that available. I was in a, a community group in San Antonio at the church when I was, I mean, I was on staff and um, felt like we had this really good community group. And then one day, one of the couples, we find out, they've both been in an affair for eight months And we would have like marital checkups in the community group. How's your marriage? This is this place of safety. This is a place of transparency. This is a place of authenticity. Like, tell us how things are going. We're here to help. Oh, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. And then finally, we're in an affair for eight months. And at that point, it was, it was far too gone. We had been willing to enter in but there had been no honesty. And so there's no accountability. So it's a two-way street where the community has to be willing to enter in. The individual needs to be willing to open up 
But when those two things happen, you have the accountability that redirects us towards godliness. And it's a beautiful aspect of why God has given us Christian community. Thirdly, and this one may surprise you a bit, but I would argue Christian community is vital for learning. For learning. Okay, so even once again in the text in, in Ephesians 3, Paul's prayer is that they, would, they may be able to comprehend with all the saints. But there's a continual emphasis on this idea of learning from one another or learning in community. And, I'm, and, and that can be a number of things. Yes, studying the Bible together, absolutely. But even just being around one another and how we learn. You heard Corey mention it in the video. Did you hear what he said? He said, I, I interact differently with my clients because of being around the people of my church. Like, just because I was walking with the Lord and maybe I was a pastor when I had kids doesn't mean I had any clue how to parent. It's not just something that was just like easy. And so when I think of like my life as a parent, still going, my life and marriage still going. If, as I think about marriage and family and parenting and even work-life rhythms and all that thing, I've learned so much from just the faith communities I've been in. Watching this person who's gone before me, getting advice from this sage who has walked that journey, hearing from somebody else who made major mistakes, says, don't go this way. I've learned a ton just from being in community and in relationship with others where I can learn from them, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if we only think of learning as something I do individually or in isolation or just me and my Bible or just me and my podcast, our, our growth will be stunted. Like our learning will, be, um, will not reach its fullness because you can only learn so much in isolation. You can only learn so much um, just by filling your brain with knowledge. And I love books. I love a good sermon. I love podcasts. I love all that. And the reality is, and I've told you this before, the reality is, is that you could get better preaching, listen to a better worship band, and a more comfortable seat with more legroom, coffee the, just the way you want it in the comfy, comfy confines of your home in your pajamas today. But if that is your MO, your growth will be stunted because there's a limit to that type of learning. When Jesus is, is calling the disciples, what does he say? Does he say, listen to me? He says, follow me. That's the command. And so within that command to follow me is what? It's spend time with me, watch me, listen to me, do what I do, ask questions, take notes. It is way more than just a head knowledge that comes from listening. And so there's power in community when it comes to learning. 
when it comes to godliness, when it comes to how we live out our Christian life. We actually have a, a great example of this coming up. I'm, I'm put on my promoter hat. One of my favorite events that we do, favorite things we do at Christ Community is dinner and discipleship. And this is an event for C3 Kids parents um, where we come together as families, we come together as parents for a good meal, for a time of fellowship and a time of equipping and learning in community where we dialogue with one another and we typically learn from an expert. And so this Saturday, this upcoming Saturday, we're going to have one about how to, how to learn, how to be better equipped to talk to our kids as the authority when it comes to sex. Like how do we talk to them about the birds and the bees? And so it's something that we are going to hear from an expert, process in community, encourage one another, and grow in our ability to shepherd our kids in an area that's uncomfortable, unnatural, maybe not our wheelhouse, but we're calling one another to do it because the culture is going to disciple them if we don't. And so we lean in as parents, and we do it together. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a kid 1 to 10, 11, maybe 12, to sign up for this. The pantry's going to cater it. You, we're going to take care of your kids. There's child care for your kids. We'll feed them. So, I mean, at the worst, it's a date night. All right? So sign up for that. But that's part of what I mean about learning in community, being with one another, being sharpened by one another. And so we encourage one another. We are accountable to one another. We learn from one another. And lastly, we support one another. We support one another. I love the story of Moses from Exodus 17. Y'all know the story where Joshua's leading him out in the battle. Moses goes up on the hill. And I don't know why God designed it this way, but like Moses' hands go up and they're victorious. Moses' hands go down and they start to lose. But Moses, my man's an old man. And we all get, our del, all of our deltoids get tired. I mean, you ever, you ever in a church where they said, you know, can you put your hands before you? And you're like, I will for like 60 seconds. But then those people are on their own. Then I'm just going to pray like this. You know, I mean, my man is tired. Well, but they got to have his arms up to win. And so they go, what happens? Well, verse 12 says, Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. He, need, he just needed his hands held up, but he couldn't do it on his own. He needed the community. He needed those to come alongside him. And sometimes we need people to hold our hands up because we just can't do it. We don't have the strength to go on. You don't have the strength to believe, so you need someone to believe for you. You're in so much pain, you need someone to carry you. You just need practical help. You need someone to come alongside you. We've had a, a number of these um, moments recently in our church where through death or illness or hospitalization, like we just needed people to have their, people have needed their hands held up. And it's been beautiful to see the church respond. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about the, the Buchholzes about Gabe and Nancy and how Gabe was fighting for his life, that he was on life support in Florida. And I'm thrilled to say he's not in Florida anymore. He's in Little Rock. He's at Baptist Hospital undergoing rehab. Probably watching right now. So, Gabe, good morning. 
Noah and Gabe. And the family on Caring Bridge, the Buchholzes were sharing about their journey. And they had this one, I thought, really powerful quote from the doctor who'd been kind of his primary care person in the intensive care unit. And uh, this is what the doctor said when Gabe finally woke up. He said, Gabe, I'm so glad to finally meet you. I don't know if you realize how big of a miracle you are. Your kidneys failed, your heart failed, your blood pressure was zero, and your lungs were filled with fluid. You were living at 1%. In this place, we rarely ever get to see someone in your condition return to what I'm seeing as 99.9% in your charts. You have made my day. Miracles like you are the reason I'm staying in this job. Now get out. I mean, come on. That's, that's, that's incredible. And that's a miracle of grace in the life of the Buchholzes, and it's a miracle of grace to watch the church family come alongside them and continue to do so, to lift their hands when they are weary, to be that help and that support when they need it the most. And so it's, we need Christian community. And there are other reasons why, but I think those four give you a, a taste of why this really matters. Because we need encouragement, we need accountability, we want to grow and learn. And there's just sometimes where we just need someone to lift our hands up because we can't do it on our own. And that's part of our desire for this move. It's part of the reason why we want to see this church go deeper and have a home. If you went to one of the root gatherings, I didn't say it at all of them because I had like 47 of them, but a number of them I said that you don't need a house to have a family. But a home is a powerful agent of formation for the family. Like a home plays a role in the shaping and the forming of the people who live there. It plays a real role. Even the way we think about life, like I don't know about you, but I process my life in so many ways through the different houses I lived in. So Victoria and I will talk like, well, that was, yeah, that's back on Antler. Well, those were the basswood days. Yeah, that's Connemara Bend. She grew up on tall elm woods. I grew up on shadow elm woods. 42-22, 42-38, with an alleyway between us. And her parents still live there. And when I go to San Antonio and we go to her parents' house, every time I walk to my house, so much so I'm probably going to get the cops called on me one day. <laughs> and I stand out in front of 4238. Or I drive by, because that's the home I grew up in. And I see the bedroom that my dumb friend shot paintballs at when I was napping that I thought I was having a drive-by. And I see the piano room where my mom would give piano lessons. And I see the front door where I would see my dad or the living room where we would play family board games. And we walk, I walk to the alleyway and peek over the fence where we have this pool that's so small. But when I was a kid, you, you know, it was Olympic sized. And there's the pool I grew up playing in and all the backyard gatherings we'd have. I mean, I, I, I haven't lived in that house in 20 years. I still go there. And it's still a part of me. 
because our homes, they, they shape us. And, and, and they're designed for connection, designed for gathering. Yes, they need to function, but it's designed for something more than that. And that's our prayer for this endeavor, for this property, is that, yes, it will function, like the toilets will flush and the, the lights will come on, but that it's more than that. That it's a unique place of worship that shapes us. That's a unique place of gathering and connection that changes us over our lives. And that there will be places there that we will go to in our dying days and remember what God did. That it'll have that type of formational effect. And as our home, it's going to have different kind of places and spaces. And so you kind of see three, three wings coming out. And one of those is the children's area. And that's where our children will be on the, on the top with just this refuge and this sweet space to learn and to grow and to be together and to play. You see the one coming out on the right. That's a place of learning and gathering. Those are classrooms and offices and uh, event space. And then the one where we have the tower, that is, uh, that's going to be the sanctuary side of the church, pointing out, looking out towards Pinnacle, where we gather and we worship in God's creation. And so there'll be functional spaces and big spaces and smaller spaces and, and connective spaces, as well as, um, but it's not just in these spaces. There's also going to be just moments throughout the facility and places where we can connect where we can pray with one another, whether we go to the, uh, the lobby and even just opening up into the lobby and, and having the natural light come in. There's going to be opportunities to, to go outside in the connection space and, and how that will f- go out into the courtyard from the porch into the backyard and we'll, how we'll be able to gather out back a playground. We anticipate there being ultimately a, an area, kind of a sport court deal where we can sweat together, where our students can play, picnic tables where our families can gather, and just the opportunity to be together both in these kind of structured places, but then also freely as we go about the property together. There's, uh, I believe there's the lobby one, Jim, if you go back. Yeah, the lobby space as we can come in and enjoy being together with coffee, just having a cup of coffee. Little nooks and carve-outs as we go where we can sit down and have the conversation, give that encouragement, give that support, make our way to the tower room where we can pray together. There's just going, it's going to be designed as a place of worship, designed for a place of connection, designed for a place of gathering and the hopes that it'll be one of the places that truly forms us, that really shapes our hearts, and to do it in such a beautiful place. And that's both inside and outside. This will be a special place to go, a strategic place to connect, a spot where our connection with one another in community will grow deeper. A home, a home base for our church in this community for generations to come, where we will gather and be shaped and then sent out on mission. And that brings me to kind of the final idea of we've talked about why Christian community matters. We've talked about some of the ways we envision this shaping our Christian community with one another and increasing us, taking us deeper. And it also takes the step of rooting us in this community we are in. 
Think of like a text like Acts chapter 2, right, where the apostles are, Acts chapter 1, excuse me, where the apostles are told to go be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the ends of the earth is incredibly important, and so is the end of our street. There's a, there's a phrase that's used a lot these days where we think global, act local. That we are called to be on mission in a, as a community where we are while also maintaining our commitment to going to the ends of the earth. And for us, this is our community. This is our context. The area in which we live is our Jerusalem. And the context of this area is that it's pretty stable. It is not a hyper-transient area. There's not just turn and churn all the time in this community in which we live. So we think it's a strategic move for the long-term health of the church to have a permanent presence in this community we're trying to reach. Because the community we're trying to reach is not this hyper-transient community. And it's a community where a permanent presence matters. A stake in the ground a place to call home that reveals a commitment to the community saying we're here for the long term. And not just we're here for the long term, we're here to be a blessing. So even practical ways that we see this facility being a blessing from the different ministries that use it, not just ours, but other ministries that get to use it the way it'll be used throughout the course of the week. Ministries that we have going on and maybe we're we're prayerfully missions, I mean, ministries that will come that will be, almost geared towards different aspects of the community, whether it's a marriage ministry, whether it's a recovery ministry. I remember in San Antonio at the church I was at, I I was the pastor over the post-abortion ministry. And so when we would have these special gatherings of women that go through this class and then we'd have kind of a ceremony and a, a funeral and I would be the one who'd preach it or pastor it, nine times out of 10, the women in that class were not from our church because it was hard for them. It was a hard place for those women to go in their own local church or to see their pastor. And so it was women from the community and it was women from different churches. And so we see it being an opportunity for that. We see it just being a practical blessing for families to be able to come use it, whether it's the playground, whether it's the backyard, because as I've said, you can walk right through and access that. There's five or four trails already built into neighborhoods surrounding that. The three LaMarche neighborhoods in Margot all have trails. Now, they're rudimentary at this point, but trails that go from the neighborhood to the property. So we see this as a place that's just even a blessing for the, for the community. Um, we anticipate weddings being here. We anticipate funerals being here. But that this becomes a really special spot that's not just a home for us, but a blessing for the community. And then thirdly, and, and, and finally, we believe the facility will serve as a strategic tool for inviting people in this community into our community. So think of it this way. We are rooted to reach. Like we're rooted in order to reach. And as our community grows deeper, my anticipation is that our reach will grow further our reach will become greater as our community goes deeper. I think of the, a, a great quote by Francis Schaeffer, where he says, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful 
Christian community is the final apologetic. That our community is both a witness and an invitation. I think of John chapter 13 when Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he says, a new commandment I give you to love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. He's saying the great apologetic is the quality of your love and community. And that is both a witness and an invitation to the community you're in. So as we go deeper in community, I think our reach will become greater in this community that we're called to reach. So we're rooted in order to reach. Rooted in community with one another and the community in which we live and ultimately rooted to reach the community for the glory of God. This week I had a, a couple of days. We had snow days without any snow, but so I, I, I had a chance, a little bit extra time at home, and I reread an old book by the, the great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's called Life Together. It's a short little read. Don't be impressed. Um, but it's this beautiful book by this great theologian who, if you don't know, you know, lived in the 1930s and 40s, stood up against Hitler, was ultimately, could have been in America just teaching as a professor, went back to Germany to work with the confessed, the church that was faithful against the Nazis, was ultimately imprisoned and killed in April of 1945. And so he writes this book. And it's about Christian community. That's what it is. And in one of the chapters, there's a, there's a portion that I just thought was so powerful because there's this great reminder of how privileged we are to have one another. And the blessing it is to not have to go through this alone, to have the encouragement, accountability, support, and the ability to learn with one another. And this is what Bonhoeffer writes. It says, between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. The, belie the believer therefore lauds the creator, the redeemer, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the bodily presence of a brother. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. They receive each other's benedictions as the benediction of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if there is so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter of brother with brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. What a gift to have Christian community. And our heart is that we would go deeper into that. That we would more fully embrace that which God has provided to us and what God can provide through us to a community that's longing for more of that. Longing for something real.